Welcome to episode eight of Breakout Culture. I'm Ed Vasey, none other than the culture editor of Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Charlotte Metcalf, and I'm the associate editor at the magazine. And we're going to be talking a lot about books this week because booksellers have reported their best first week of September since records began, with almost 600 new hardbacks coming out and sales up 11.1% as people rushed out to buy them. So we're going to start by telling you all about the Great Times and Sunday Times Cheltenham Literature Festival, which starts on Friday. Yep, for the first time ever in its history, the world's oldest literature festival, guess what, is going to be online. Live streamed from Cheltenham Town Hall and the Everyman Theatre in front of a socially distanced live audience. Plus, the festival is partnering with Sky Arts, and indeed we had, to, always ahead of the game here, we had Phil Edgar-Jones from Sky Arts on the podcast just the other day. And so it's going to broadcast free highlights, which is going to be fantastic. So we're having real technical problems with poor Ed, who's struggling to get in and out of our podcast. So I'm just going to carry on and tell you that this year, the festival's programming team has been joined by guest curator Shamil Thakra, founder of the fabulously successful Indian Bombay street food restaurant chain Dishoom, and the novelist, political scientist and commentator Elif Shafak. Elif is the most widely read female author in Turkey. She's now written 19 books, translated into 53 languages, 11 of them novels. She's also a university teacher, an inspiring public speaker and a passionate advocate of women's rights and freedom of speech. She's made London her home and we're honoured to have her with us today. Hello, Elif. Hello, thank you. Alif, I'm truly thrilled to have you here as I'm a huge fan of your work. I loved your last novel, 10 Minutes and 38 Seconds in This Strange World. And I've just finished your latest book, How to Stay Sane in an Age of Division, which echoes your brilliant 2017 TED Talk when you talked about the withering away of nuance and the fact we're being denied the right to be diverse, complex and ambiguous in an increasingly rigidly polarised society. This concern is obviously at the core of your ethos and shining through in the way you filled the festival with fluid conversation with nomadic writers from all over the world. Now, tell me how you went about curating it and deciding who was going to take part. Oh, I, I really appreciate your words. Of course, Cheltenham is such a special and important festival. And I was delighted when I was invited to become a guest curator for this year. And my starting point was this moment in time is so strange. It is so unusual and it's so scary in many ways. I think we there, there, there are lots of things we need to talk about. There's a sense of urgency. We need these public debates and we need nuanced public debates on a very variety of issues. So that was my starting point. How do we feel as as fellow human beings from all kinds of backgrounds? How do we respond to this moment in time, to the pandemic and all the challenges that it is bringing into our lives? Before the pandemic, we also had, we already had a system um, full of in my opinion, inequalities, gaps, you know, the, all the things that kept us apart as, as human beings. So in a way, the pandemic revealed the existing flaws in our societies, in our political systems. So it's an important crossroads in time. And we need culture, we need literature, we need art. Art is not a luxury we can put aside. It is essential, just as essential as the air we breathe or the water we need. I think it's very important for our mental health, for our collective sanity. And I wanted to honour 
um, the importance of the art of storytelling and, and creativity in general as I started guest curating. Well, I think that's absolute music to our ears on this podcast because that's what we believe passionately as well, that art is absolutely going to keep us all sane. Um, even whatever happens next, there will always be art. So tell me about some of the you know main headliners, if you like, and 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 who's coming and, and what people can expect, because it is very exciting for people to be able to go out and see, sit in front of these people and listen to them. Absolutely. And I'm, if I may, I would encourage everyone to visit the website because there's so many amazing uh, events, debates. I'm not saying this in any specific order, but of course, freedom of speech has always Always been an important issue. How do we talk about the issues that we all care about a lot without getting angry at each other, without becoming more and more polarized? To be honest, when I first moved to the UK, it's been more than 12 years now, I used to think British people are very calm. When they, when they talk about politics. And I was not always- Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that always amazed me. And as you said, not anymore. In a way that calmness has disappeared. In some ways, it's good that we are showing perhaps more emotions, passion, because we care about lots of subjects. But on the other hand, there's more anger, there's more frustration, and perhaps there's more distance uh, that is dividing us now. So how do we, how can we talk about core fundamental issues calmly uh, in a peaceful way and without uh, without losing sight of the importance of coexistence and pluralistic democracy. So that's going to be a central theme. And also, of course, women's rights. How do we um, talk about inequalities, gender inequalities? Climate is, is incredibly important. Climate emergency, as we're speaking, Uh, our planet is burning you know we have to we have to make climate emergency a priority it is not a side issue it's not a footnote and how do we talk about climate at a time when there's a lot of misinformation out there particularly on social media how do we talk about the dark side of social media so all these themes they might seem to be a little bit disconnected at first glance But in fact, there are underground tunnels connecting them. And when you open up these debates, I think it will be healthier for our democracy and for our future. One of the things that I see going on is a huge rise in the level of just sheer intolerance, you know, this cancel culture. Well, I, I come from a country, Turkey, which has lost not, not only its democracy, but of course its rule of law, any chance for rule of law, separation of powers, freedom of media, um, diversity of opinions in the civil society, independence of academia. So for me, I think all my adult life, freedom of speech has been a very core core value to defend. I understand how crucial it is. At the same time, I also understand that there are important inequalities in the world in which we're living, and many people feel left out and left behind. There are people who were not invited to the table when decisions were made. So as an author, it has always been important for me to pay more attention to the periphery rather than the center, and to try to see who are the people who feel hurt who are the people who think their voices are unheard at this moment in time and how can we give them more voice how can we empower the disempowered therefore we have a duty I think as artists to make the invisible a bit more visible to give more voice to the voiceless 
what worries me is there's a lot of um, dichotomy in in a, in a way we have become polarized on this issue like in everything else and i want to have nuanced conversations and i think it's very important to engage with people who have a variety of different opinions well i think one of the new things you're doing this year which i was really struck by is the citizens manifesto which is bring together young activists and politicians and key thinkers with the audience to explore ways society can change in the wake of coronavirus so tell me a bit more about that and what you hope might come from it i think it's so essential that we all primarily see ourselves as active involved engaged citizens to me this is very very basic when i read the works of many thinkers like Hannah Arendt people who have witnessed darkest chapters in human history almost all of them are warning us uh, against apathy when we become disconnected indifferent desensitized if i stop caring about your story if you stop caring about my story upon that threshold of apathy the, the seeds of all kinds of discrimination racism xenophobia can be can be planted numbness is a dangerous thing and when we become engaged citizens i think the world will be a healthier place also uh, if we become active digital citizens because the digital space is also important to me it is very exciting that we have the citizens manifesto this year uh, we have lots of young people who have so many questions and so much to tell the world and oftentimes their voices are unheard and i honestly think cultural festivals literary festivals and in general culture itself is one of our last remaining democratic space I agree I, and I think it just sounds wonderful. Just for our listeners, can you just quickly run through some of the the big names that are going to be that like you know Ben McIntyre and Ian Wilson and John Lanchester and Nick Hornby and Caitlin Moran and Danny Finkelstein and Malcolm Gladwell you know all sorts of people. Oh you mentioned all the all the wonderful <laughs> names <laughs> and, and and I thank you for that uh, all the wonderful names that I was planning to mention but also if if I may encourage our our, our listeners please do try i mean do take a close look at the program because you will see it is so rich it is so inspiring i think it's 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 a it's a wonderful thing to read across the board you know not only fiction or not only non-fiction but both fiction and non-fiction sometimes when readers say to me i don't have time for fiction i i i want to understand what's happening in the world so i read politics economy history philosophy it makes me sad because that's i men. think that's men <laughs> Mainly. That's man. <laughs> I didn't want to say that, but that's usually man. <laughs> And it makes me sad because I think inside fiction there's everything. But equally we need, you know, we need to read across the board also from east and west and i believe it's better for our soul if we engage in conversations where we don't know much about uh, because that's going to challenge us we have an amazing panel on on climate on nature uh, and i i'm very excited about that debate i'll be chairing that event i'll be listening to our speakers learning a lot from them so because One of the things that excites me a lot about that panel is they're not only pointing out what problems are, what the emergency is about our climate and our planet, but also coming up with solutions. And so we need to hear their voices. So there's a lot there, um, whether it's society, politics, culture or nature, lots of debates. And I think each and every one of these authors have been amazing in their fields. Well, I think it just sounds absolutely fantastic, the festival, and I wish you all the luck with it and i know our listeners will 
be thrilled with it because I think what's so exciting about it is we've had so many virtual uh, literary festivals and we've covered quite a lot of them on this podcast, including, you know, Hey on Why, which bravely went ahead virtually. But this is so exciting because people can actually gather in a socially distanced way, can't they? And and really t- actually take part and join in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm very thankful. Thank you for having me. Well, after that, I'm definitely going to be going to Cheltenham and you can book events, including the online ones, on their website, cheltenhamliteraturefestival.com. But after such an inspiring incursion into the world of books, we want to round off by going quickly to the visual arts. I'm delighted to say that we've managed to get Ed back onto the podcast. Ed. Now, Kensington Chelsea Art Week opens on the 1st of October and runs until the 11th. It's open to everyone. Highlights include large-scale installations all over the borough, from Sloan Square to White City, and include the Coronet Theatre being wrapped in embroidered poetry. Here to tell us what you can expect to see is Festival Director Vestalia Chilton. Oh, hello. What a great introduction. I really appreciate uh, the run through because essentially the the festival isn't a week. It's 11 days long over two weekends. We've got 130, over 130 participating venues, including museums, galleries, uh, artist studios and over 200 events happening on and offline. What we've done this year, we tried to focus as much as possible on self-discovery so you can go in your own time, either on your apps or actually physically and see the installations in the streets. As we all know, right now, gatherings are not very necessarily endorsed. So we don't particularly want people to get together in that sense. But we really do want to inspire people to go into Kensington and Chelsea and see the installations on the streets across the whole of the borough in eight zones. And as you mentioned, Ed, of course, uh, we are wrapping the Coronet Theatre, which has been in lockdown since uh, COVID started. And we're wrapping it in poetry. And the artist behind the idea is Maya Sandbar. And we've been collaborating with her already. She is a filmmaker and a poet. And Maya Sandbar produced films during lockdown from the Coronet Theatre, where we filmed famous actors, musicians and local poets. And this is almost like a spin-off from that. So we did an open call for more poetry from local poets. Over 28 poems came to our, came our way, and we're going to include those in the embroidered fabric that's going to cover the Coronet Theatre. Oh, it sounds absolutely fantastic. And I was really struck by another thing that you're doing during this week, which is that you're putting a lot of art in um, empty shop windows, which is going to do no end to cheer up the Royal Borough, as, you know, retail's obviously taken such a hammering. So tell us a bit more about that. I think we all understand that um, our, uh, our, our, the way we shop has changed and the way we enjoy our city has changed. So this is almost um, a project that we started thinking about before lockdown happened. Because why do we, why do we, because we wanted to drive more people to explore the streets for more than just shopping. So we're now pushing people to come to um, the streets overall and discover these new interactive uh, spaces where you could see local artists painting, sculpting and exhibiting their work, not just in empty shops, but also collaborating with retailers. We've launched this project called Chelsea Windows, which is the art in windows. And we almost did this uh, matchmaking service we called speed dating between local artists and local retailers. And they're collaborating together on this project. So can you tell us a bit more about some of the main sculptors who are going to be on display in the public art trail? 
Well, uh, we've got quite an amazing uh, range. I just want to make a point that last year we only had five installations and this year we've got 11. So we've really, really, really pushed the boat out on these. Some of the uh, artists are Alex Shinek. Um, we're putting a uh, his sculpture of a twisted uh, post box in Bramley Road in, near Freston. Alice Irwin, People Play, um, is also going towards uh, going to be installed in North Kensington. Then Peace to Resistance on Sloan Square, as we always do. This is our main site. Uh, we've got Toy Studio, a beautiful installation um, that is lit from inside and it's called In Bloom. We've got Liz West, A Tunnel of Colour. It just is incredible because it's it, you can walk through it and see the world through different colours, a different lens. Um, and that's going to be installed in Duke of York Square. We've got Found Fiction, which is a, an artwork all over all over the uh, the borough. It's almost like museum plaques, which have been written about buildings that you will walk past and never really think about. So that's what it's called, Found Fiction. So these little museum plaques have been written up by different writers and they found interesting nuggets of history about the road or about the area and just want to clarify that all of these installations are going to be on our uh, culture map which we're publishing online it's almost going to act like a database of everything that's going on all the all of the 200 different places and different uh, events that are going to be taking part during Kensington and Chelsea Art Week the overall website is Kensington and Chelsea Art Week um, so it's kcaw.co.uk kcaw.co.uk and for the map there'll be a link on our website it's basically map.kcaw.co.uk Brilliant, thank you so much Vestalia it's been absolutely fantastic hearing about what's going on it sounds like it's going to take over the entire borough for 11 days I just wanted to add um, some of the installations will be in situ for a bit longer so if you can't make it over these 11 days check out our website and have a look some of these installations will be in situ for at least one or two months excellent take care thank you so much thank you since we're talking about books this week we want to tell our listeners about a wonderful new illustrated poetry book that we predict will be the biggest christmas bestseller ever it's called <laughs> poems to save the world and it's an anthology selected and illustrated by the great observer political cartoonist and illustrator chris rudell who's won numerous prizes for his work, including three Kate Greenaway medals. He was also appointed the Children's Laureate in 2015. In fact, that is when I met him and spent a lovely evening with him. And he's here to tell us all about his book today. Chris, hi. Ed, hello. Nice to uh, see you again. Yeah, very nice to see you. Hi, Chris. Now, um, we're absolutely thrilled to have you on and we're in such a rush to get you that we decide to go for it, even though Ed's been in the House of Lords today making his maiden speech. So if, listeners, you hear weird bells tolling in the background, it's not because we're going all poetic, but because Ed's still there. Um, But Chris, we're really thrilled to have got you on, even at the very last minute, because I've had a sneak preview of this book. And it's absolutely enchanting. Um, what's so brilliant Charlotte about it? Charlotte absolutely <laughs> loves it. I do, I do. And what's so brilliant about it is that it's full of old reassuring favourites like Invictus and If and The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry, which William Seacart read aloud on this very podcast. But also there are so many new poems that deal with the current political situation and lockdown. 
You must have had a wonderful time doing it. Tell us all about it, Chris. Well, Charlotte, thank you. What a lovely introduction. I I did love doing this book. It, it was done in the extraordinary circumstances we've all been through um, and are indeed still going through, you know, of lockdown. It was a real pleasure to lose myself in in poems that that I love, and also to discover a few new ones. And what I'd actually did was was to um, to have the per- poems I selected typeset, and then uh, sent to uh, emailed to me, and I printed them out on my A3 printer that I have here in my studio, and uh, and just drew on on the pages. Well, yes, some of it's very mischievous indeed. I'm thinking particularly of W. B. Yeats's. The Second Coming, um, where you have a wonderful cartoon of Boris. So can you tell our readers what two lines he stands next to? I can remind them if you can't remember. (laughs) Oh, yes. Now, now I think for for the the purposes of accuracy, um, you saw the PDF, Charlotte, um, and I was asked to take Boris out of of that (laughs) particular poem. So so he's no longer there. But, oh, no. I um, thought that was very, it, very funny. This is an exclusive. Yeah. Exactly that. Censorship from Downing Street. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it came from the top. I, th- I think this was more an editorial thing. We, we, uh, I think poetry is a broad church, and um, uh, my editor said, let's, let's be as broad as we can rather than uh, uh, too pointed. But if you do turn the page, Charlotte, you will see the beast slouching towards um, Bethlehem has got a really interesting comb-over hairstyle. Yes, I did notice that. <laughs> yes, so your sense of mischief did, did prevail. But I, was, I know you're a political cartoonist, but I was really surprised by just how political this book was, while remaining both very, very charming and optimistic. Um, you, you've included all sorts of things like Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, you know, just to remind us how far America's come from those founding principles of government of the people, by the people, for the people. And then there was a new poem called Bad Government by Emily Berry, who was quite a revelation to me. Um, em- Emily is, is, is a marvellous poet. Uh, um, I, I met her at the Forward Poetry Prize and went on to read her her collections she she is both modern but but i think sort of has got a sort of classic voice and with a lot of modern poetry there there can be this um sense of inscrutability to the lay reader and i think emily sort of manages to traverse that uh that sort of uh, gulf uh so she's both accessible but very modern and talking about accessible and very modern you've included some of your own poems in the anthology have you written those for the anthology or are they musings of the last 20 years sort of finally well definitely not the last 20 years one of the great um, advantages of of being uh, of, of putting together an anthology is that i can you know without blushing put one of my poems in there and so which i took that opportunity unashamedly to put uh, a couple of poems i wrote during lockdown in into the collection the first one was inspired by my son Jack, who was very, very cross about um, the political sort of situation both here and in America, and and was sort of you know moved to go out onto the streets and protest. And he mentioned you know sort of doing things that maybe he shouldn't in terms of civil disobedience. And I said, Jack, 
don't do that. Don't don't break windows or or, or sort of protest in any sort of uh, you know violent way. Uh, you, what you must do is is make art. You know, and Jack's a filmmaker. I said, go out, take photographs, make make a film. You know, voice your dissatisfaction in that way. So, I wrote him a poem to to sort of emphasise that um, called yes, This I Is an Incitement. Yes. If you want to slay dragons, make art. I think it goes something like uh, that. Yes, yes, yeah. that's the the last line. And the the other poem which I wrote for my son Will um, was really just of the moment. I, there was one of those amazing moons, full moons during lockdown, and I happened to be sitting out in the the garden looking up at it late at night. I'd left the back door sort of open onto onto my patio, and Will came downstairs and found me sitting looking up at the moon, and I was just very struck by how the younger generation are being brave, you know, putting up with so much, managing to sort of get through all the restrictions that are placed on them quite necessarily. And I think uh, I was moved by by the younger generation's uh, stoicism in the face of this extraordinary time. Talking about the younger generation, you were the children's laureate five years ago, but you're also a hard-hitting political cartoonist and I was musing partly when you were talking about your son Jack about I don't know where I'm going with this but I think there's, <laughs> there's this rawness in childhood that kind of works to read across it, it doesn't surprise me that a political cartoonist can also be a children's laureate communicating with children it's, do you it's, have, it's, have any yeah. idea what I'm asking <laughs> Yeah, I am actually, yeah, because I, I think there is a sort of um, confluence, I think, of, of, of sort of techniques between the two. Um, I think not least um, to, and I'll get into trouble for saying this, but, but you know, my average picture book reader, um, you know, maybe sort of, you know, a five-year-old has, has got a sort of visual acuity that isn't always shared by um, uh, my, my older readers, in, yeah, in a sense. Yeah, five-year-olds, yeah. <laughs> we can lose that, can't we? Yeah. Um, and I think um, one needs to employ similar techniques sometimes when, when you're sort of visualising things, whether it be sort of political or, or sometimes the imagery of a, a, of a poem. I remember sort of just after Donald Trump's um, election, um, I drew him as, uh, as, as a baby to represent the new year that was just coming. I do a New Year's cartoon for the Observer each year, and I often use Old Father Time and the figure of a, uh, of a baby. Um, and, and that year, I drew the baby as Donald Trump in a nappy. Yes. Uh, I like to think the iconic blimp, which, you know, appeared uh, the following year, was a, was a nod towards uh, me drawing Donald as a baby. I think I was the first one to do that. Oh, I think that's a very, very important um, milestone, as it were, to note. And uh, oh, you, heard yeah. it here, you heard it here first. But I also wanted to ask you, now veering, doing a massive U-turn, What uh, it sounds a bit pompous to say this, but you were children's laureate for a year. What, what did you kind of learn from your year? Because it's a great, uh, I think it's becoming a sort of ever more prestigious position it gets a lot of attention and, and there's an opportunity to do a lot of good uh, it, it's it's a lovely role um uh, we we tend to sort of do it for two years 
Um, although on, that's exactly uh, what I meant to say. <laughs> I think the the actual role itself has has is is a wonderful one. One gets to out and about, to, going to lots of places. And I, I kept a, a little visual diary that that I subsequently published in aid of the charity Book Trust called Travels with My Sketchbook. And and when I feel nostalgic, I can go to that book and sort of leaf through its pages and find out what I was doing on particular days. So um, I'm not sure when we met. Ed, um, but you might well have appeared in in that book as a small uh, pencil caricature. Chris, thank you for letting me disappear down various rabbit holes. And Charlotte, (laughs) 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 who who found this anthology and is enthusing about it. So I want Charlotte to have the last word. No, it is just an utter joy, Chris, and we couldn't recommend it more. It's called Poems to Save the World With, and it's published by Macmillan Children's Books, and it's just a absolute delight. Charlotte, thank you and thank you, Ed. Uh, Just to um, use the rabbit hole uh, metaphor, um, the other book that I I was doing during lockdown, which will in fact be published um, uh, in in a week or so's time, is my version of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. It's a pleasure as always. Charlotte, it was was lovely. Let's uh, let's hope we can all meet up, uh, you know, in person before too long. Well, that's certainly all we've got time for this week, but you'll find details of everything we've talked about on our website, countryandtownhouse.co.uk, where you can also listen to our other podcast about design and interiors, House Guest with Carol Annette. You'll also be able to read our newsletter there, and we really encourage you to subscribe for lots of wonderful offers and so on. We love your feedback, so please keep it coming. Email us at breakoutculture at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join Ed and me again next week. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. (laughs) 